everyone and welcome back to my show. This is the Elise Yeezy show. I'm your host Elise Yeezy and today I'm joined by world-renowned UFOologist Nick Pope. Hello, great to be on. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. Um, So I guess firstly what I wanted to go over was why have in recent years I've noticed the language has changed somewhat because when I was younger it was UFOs but now it's UAPs. Do you know why they've changed that? Or has that always been the technical term and now it's just public knowledge? Well, I've actually got a direct personal story about that. And and you're right, the language has changed and it's a deliberate strategic move. And it's Mm. not the first time it happened. Way back in the 50s, the term flying saucer was popular, but they changed it to UFO. And that was deliberately done by the United States Air Force to to try and destigmatize it, to get resources, uh, to get their own chain of command to take it seriously. So exactly the same happened with this switch from UFO to UAP. We decided, but when I say we, uh, I, I used to obviously investigate this phenomenon for the UK Ministry of Defense, which mm. which is how I got involved. And And we needed to rebrand the subject because it had picked up over the years so much pop culture baggage that we were finding it difficult to get our own uh, senior stakeholders in the ministry interested in this. So we didn't invent the term UAP. It had been around for decades, actually, but we adopted it for our internal policy discussions. So so it became unidentified aerial phenomena. And in recent years, the United States government uh, saw what we had done. In fact, I went to, to Washington, D.C. and briefed them on it in, in um, 2011. And mm-hmm. then the U.S. adopted it and the rest is history. And it's all part of this wider fringe to mainstream transition that the subject has undergone in the last five, five and a half years. Yes, because I think the first time that I came across the term UAP was, do you remember when WikiLeaks leaked all of the John Podesta, Hillary Clinton emails? And John Podesta, he was talking to someone, I think one of the astronauts of one of the Apollo crafts, he was talking to him about how Hillary Clinton should discuss disclosure of the UAP phenomena. And is this ringing any bells? Because I remember reading about this seven or so years ago and being like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it it rings a lot of bells. Uh, I think the astronaut concerned was Edgar Mitchell, That's uh, it, yeah. sixth sixth man to walk on the moon, and and mm. I I had met him a couple of times and discussed this. And in fact, I uh, some some years ago also met John Podesta and briefed him about this change of of language, and he was very taken with it. And then obviously, although I didn't meet Hillary Clinton, uh, he he obviously then briefed Hillary Clinton. And and uh, it, it got into the language. But of course, it wasn't then a party political issue at all, because the, the Republicans adopted it as well. Hmm. So uh, and right now in Congress in the United States, there's bipartisan support for this. So you'll see both Republican and uh, Democratic um, senators and congressional representatives talking about how we need to put more resources into UAP and get to the bottom of the mystery. 
Why do you think Podesta, he was trying to push for Clinton, Hillary, that is, to talk about UAP disclosure on, it was on some chat show. It's all coming back to me now. Um, and they were also discussing something about talking to the Vatican, Vatican about quantum field energy. It was crazy stuff in these WikiLeaks emails. But why do you think he was trying to push Hillary Clinton, granted, this was several years ago in the in the run up to Donald Trump becoming president, um, because from what I know of the UFO phenomena, uh, presidents and presidential elects are on a need to know basis about this type of stuff. Um, it's a temporary job position. They're either president for four years or eight years in, in America, that is. Uh, so I wonder what was John Podesta's motivation? Because surely the Clintons wouldn't know maybe that much more than well, we might know. Well, John Podesta originally came at this as a freedom of information uh, mm. issue. And and that, that was one of the things that he was interested in. And he was particularly, he'd been contacted by an investigative journalist called Leslie Kane, who who had been trying to get her hands on some, some NASA uh, UFO related documents and had hit a brick wall and and Podesta didn't like that it it rubbed him up the wrong way with with his commitment to freedom of information so he he got interested in the topic but then as you say he got connected with this kind of bizarre and eclectic group of of people that included former Apollo astronauts and and others as well and and they all began to to realize that they'd been maybe throwing out the baby with the bathwater on this, that because of the giggle factor that that mm. surrounded the term UFO, they'd overlooked the fact that pilots were seeing these things, right? Radar operators were were tracking them. So so Podesta, but again, I come back to the point, it's not a party political issue. It was, mm. it was right across the board. Politicians started to look at it in a more serious way and say, well, look, if we can just set aside the the laughter factor and get over the 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 kind of sci-fi memes and things like that is there anything to this and the answer came back yeah actually there is and and that's kind of where we are now with multiple ufo related provisions in the newly signed defense bill with nasa now doing a study into it we'll we'll probably get a preliminary report on that in a few weeks and the main report in the summer the office of the director of national intelligence has produced two public reports on this there are longer classified versions of course that that the media and the public won't see and and uh, you know as i say the whole situation has changed the narrative has completely flipped no one's very few people are laughing about this now. People are, are saying, look, I don't know what's going on, but it is a defense and national security issue, and and we need to find out. You must have seen recently, but what are your thoughts on, you know, a month or two ago when those UFOs kept being sighted and the US had shot uh, two of them down? Because I saw a funny meme at the time, which I agreed with, which was, you know, normal people were saying, oh my God, it's aliens, it's UFOs, it's aliens. And conspiracy theorists were saying, no, it's not, it's just the government. Because um, the US government, they... they uh... I don't know if it was Biden's administration. Someone in the US government said, came out and said, we're not going to rule out extraterrestrials just yet. And when I saw that, I thought, well, it's obviously US aircraft. They're just trying to scare people a little bit because usually they just um, like ignore this type of thing. But what do you think about the UFOs that kept being seen? It was less than two months ago, I think. It was a big thing in the media. 
Yes, it was very interesting. Uh, the the first there were four of them. The first one, one hundred percent, was was a spy balloon. Uh, and, and I mean, it sounds very low tech, and the balloon part of it maybe is, but but underneath this thing was was a, a really sophisticated signals intelligence platform that that was gathering all sorts of communications information. So it, it was a big deal. That that I think what they did then is they thought, my goodness, what have we missed by just ignoring these sorts of reports unless they behave like commercial aircraft or unless they're carrying a trans transponder or something? So they played around with the settings on the radar, got a little bit more um, sensitivity, and suddenly all these other things started showing up. And they thought, my goodness, it's maybe more spy balloons. They shot three down they haven't found or say they haven't found the wreckage which is you know that's it's a little odd and it's a couple of senators have commented in the last day that it's odd that that just uh within a, a day or two ago they the the russians brought down one of those um uh, u.s reaper drones and i think i just mm. saw it this morning there's crystal clear footage of of the Russian aircraft, and and yet we've got no footage of of these other three objects. So we don't know about that. Chances are it's it's nothing, nothing mm. extraterrestrial. But it just goes to show that there's a lot up there that you miss if you have this sort of it can't be so it isn't mindset, and you ignore primary returns on the radar. And you mentioned that press conference. I listened to it. It was amazing. Um, it was the the NORAD general, as you say, um, Helene Cooper, who's a journalist with the New York Times. She said, come on, general, what, what my readers are asking, what everyone wants to know is, could this be extraterrestrial? Have you ruled that out? And his response, as he reported, was, was well, at this stage, I haven't ruled anything out. Within hours, anonymous national security sources were walking that back and then the white house press secretary kind of made a joke about it the following morning saying that she'd loved watching the movie et uh, when she was a kid so it, but what it goes to show i think is that look some of these ufos sure will turn out to be things like spy balloons and and drones we've always known that the question is what about what about that small percentage that we can't explain? Some of it, sure, it'll be our own uh, kind of black project technology that we don't want mm. other people knowing about. But others, that's still up in the air, if you'll excuse the pun. Yeah, because in my mind, well, realistically to me, if a spacecraft and another species are capable of traveling uh, across the galaxy, intergalactic travel, they're not going to be felled by, I say English, humanity, humankind's technology. They're not going to be shot down by, a by our technology. Um, but when it comes to UFOs or UFA uh, UAPs crashing, I'm in the camp where I believe statistically it's going to happen. If you have, you, ha you say you have like a thousand extraterrestrial visits per year, inevitably at some point, what is going to crash? To me, that makes sense. What do you think about that 
Yeah, I, I think it's always dangerous to make too many assumptions about what extraterrestrials would and mm. wouldn't, could and couldn't do. But I think you're right on, on the point about crashing. You could say that now in this era of of stealth fighters and and sophisticated drones, it's orders of magnitude above and beyond the early days of flight with the Wright brothers. But we still have plane crashes. So and, unless we thought, you know, and I'm talking hypothetically about other civilizations now, unless we thought there was a sort of magical point where where you know there wouldn't be pilot error or computer failure or or a, a part would suddenly fail due to metal fatigue or something unless we thought that would never happen i i think the reality is that that just the chance and randomness of the universe will mean that however advanced your tech is from time to time something will go wrong yeah i totally agree <laughs> um so as a child, let's go all the way back there. Were you interested in UFOs and the paranormal? Because I know, I know for me, I very much was. And then my dad would help facilitate my imagination. He'd get me books out on Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, UFOs, etc. So as a child, that Im imagination and curious side of me was nurtured. I'm interested, were you the same or similar? I, I wasn't, actually. I'd, mm. I'd read... I mean, I read widely as as a child, and I'd I'd read a couple of of classic sci-fi novels like like uh, The War of the Worlds and The Time Machine. I think H.G. Wells. That was that was probably about it. So no, I had no no interest or or belief in in this until until I, I found myself working as a civilian employee at the Ministry of Defence and and. In 1991, uh, I was due for a move at exactly the same time as the vacancy came up uh, for for the the UFO desk, UFO project, whatever people want to call it, and and so I I just slotted into that as part of the normal Ministry of Defence postings policy, and and no 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 interest or belief to me it was just. I know this sounds crazy, but just another government job. I mean, obviously, you have a rather unusual one, and and quite something to have on the CV. But uh, but that was it. And maybe that's the best way to have gone into mm. that without any particularly strong beliefs either way, frankly, so that I could take a data led approach. Yes, because you're a skeptic, aren't you? Which I find is the healthiest way to approach, especially when we're talking about fantastical things. Yeah, 99% of this, maybe more, is going to turn out to be misidentification, hoax, delusion, um, you know, some combination of of all of that. You know, like I say, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the what's left afterwards. And, and the quicker we can have meaningful investigations on those, all, all the cases, and we got two or 300 each year, and, and the US government is now looking at several hundred military sightings reported over the last year. As soon as we can get those nailed down and, and you know, eliminate as many of those as possible, the sooner we can concentrate on the, the core phenomenon, whatever that might be. So how long were you at the MOD for? I was at the MOD for 21 years on, on the UFO desk for three. So, so it was only one posting in a much wider 21-year 
career but of course it's it's the one that i always look back on and and it's it's the one that i'm i i guess known for yes because whilst you're at the ufo posting like you say 99 percent of ufos are probably just i don't asteroids or drones or random objects that can be explained but uh do you remember the first time you came across something or some piece of data where you couldn't explain it well, I'll, I'll tell you about a couple of cases, one where we got an explanation, one way where we didn't. There was a case fairly soon after I joined where we had a really bright streak of, of light that had been witnessed uh, late in the evening, uh, just just as, as twilight was, was arriving uh, across quite a large part of the southwest of, of England, as, as I recall, uh, maybe Wiltshire, um, and and I did all the I, I thought maybe a large fireball meteor had burnt up in the Earth's atmosphere. I spoke to the Royal Observatory at Greenwich and and some other um, people in in the British Fireball Survey. They had heard nothing about it. I went through all the usual other checks, and I thought that it was looking really really interesting until and this just shows the the why you need these thorough investigations. I was speaking to some of the local air bases and it turned out i got the got hold of the weather report and it turned out that that one of the runways at, at a, a royal air force base was was looking as if it was going to get a little icy so they said everyone needs to get back to base really quickly and some one of the aircraft was out further in one of the other low flying training areas so to get back quickly before the weather deteriorated it had to do what was called a dump and burn, which was basically it jettisoned its extra fuel. And then to save that fuel falling on people's heads and, and things like that, it it ignited it with the aircraft's afterburner. So what you got was this hugely spectacular display that, that was, and that was the explanation. So that was rather a nice little mm. case, I thought, of something that looked mysterious, but turned out to have a, an unusual, but, but conventional explanation. The, there was a one where we didn't get an explanation was a huge wave of sightings that took place over a series of about six hours in March 1993. So almost exactly 30 years ago, as mm. we're having this, this conversation, huge triangular shaped craft, uh, dozens of witnesses, lots of police and military, two RAF bases in the Midlands were directly overflown. RAF Cosford, and RAF Shawbury, and um, some of the witnesses described this huge object uh, traveling very slowly, maybe 30, 40 miles an hour, low frequency humming sound, narrow beam of light uh, that moved in a kind of funny way. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly from this speed of 30 or 40 miles an hour, the thing just accelerated away to the horizon at, at high max speeds and one of the witnesses said uh, he'd been in the air force eight years saw on a daily basis you know fast attack helicopters military jet fighters he said i'd never seen anything like this before in my life and that that was something that played out again and again with the witnesses uh, we launched a full explanation never never got to the bottom of it and and those sorts of cases have been reported over the years not just in the UK, but in the US, all around the world, actually. 
How many witnesses were there to that? Hundreds. Um, initially, in the first few days, we got maybe two or three dozen. But later, we, because because there's no national reporting system, because we we got some of the cases at the Ministry of Defence, but but there were civilian UFO groups as well mm -hmm. who got some cases, and of course, a lot of people reported to the media. So it took a while for us to get a full count of of witnesses. And of course, because of under-reporting, people often stay quiet, don't come forward at all because of the fear of ridicule or disbelief. We'll never likely know exactly how many, but but several hundred for sure. Did you ever see, it's kind of off topic, but kind of not, um, I believe it was a long, long time ago, maybe above some town in Germany, hundreds of years ago, there was something in the press about all these citizens of this town had seen these fantastic shapes in the sky, um, having some sort of, I don't know, putting on some sort of display. And this was hundreds of years ago. And there's uh, there's still like a clipping of it in a newspaper to this day. Have you seen anything about that? I have. I think it's Nuremberg, if I remember mm. correctly. And it's, it's, it's either a woodcutting or a, an illustration yeah, on a manuscript. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult to say with something like this. I mean, of course, in the Middle Ages, people had a lot of a lot of sort of fairly complex, superstitious beliefs that were were sometimes jumbled up with with more conventional religion. And and I guess the sign the the, the idea of signs and portents in the sky ran through a lot of that. So it's difficult to say for sure. Did did that come up against some sort of celestial event? Mm. Uh, very difficult to say. But you know, if 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 that was a one-off, um, sure. But but I guess these things crop up again and again. They they crop up in in petroglyphs, in in medieval and Renaissance artworks, in wood cuttings. Uh, one of my favorite ones, actually. I'm I'm a crop circle skeptic, but one mm. of my favorite. Uh, examples of this kind of historical account is something called the mowing devil. And again, it's an old illustration going back several hundred years. And it literally, it shows the devil with a scythe uh, making a, a circular pattern in a crop field. And the story was that the mowing devil had had come down one night and, and cut some of the farmer's crop. So- Oh, wow. There's a great parallel between these these ancient accounts, which are you know part history, part folklore, maybe difficult to tell, and and more modern phenomena. Now, like I say, I'm a crop circle skeptic, but it doesn't make that sort of thing uninteresting. Mm. Yes, I'm a crop circle skeptic as well, uh, but I can't wrap my head around how some people, because some of these geometrical patterns that you you see from above, I can't wrap my head around how people know to do that. But I'm not very good at math, so I, I think um, some of the patterns were being made by by engineering students at, mm. at some of the the universities, so they did have a, a good knowledge and and some of them again i mean not not just mathematical knowledge but geometric knowledge i mean i think somebody was talking to me about this the other day and and we were talking about is there mathematical uh, information encoded in some of these formations and i think and, and whoever it was had said to me you know with the the advances being made in artificial intelligence 
lately, it's going to be very easy to scan in a lot of these images. And if there is anything unusual encoded in, in here, like it's okay if, if you encode the value of pi in into a, a crop circle, that's fine. You know, people can do that. But there are all sorts of major unsolved problems in mathematics. And if we use AI and, and if we were to find, I don't think we will, but I'm just saying how how could we determine if there was something genuinely unusual about this? The answer to that question is if we found a solution to one of these major unsolved problems in mathematics somehow encoded in a crop circle. Like I say, don't think it'll happen, but it it would be jolly interesting if it did. And it would make me think again, I have to say. Yeah. Well, maths is the language of the universe, really. If you were to ever meet an extraterrestrial, I guess the easiest way to show them that we're not totally daft is to do the Pythagoras theorem. Because even though the symbols might be different, the idea is the same across the universe, isn't it? See, maths fascinates me, but I'm not very good at it. Well, you're right. Pi, pi is going to be pi everywhere in the universe. So it's a great baseline. And of course, we saw this in the science fiction movie Contact, which was based on the book by Carl Sagan, the, the astronomer and mm. astrophysicist. So, so uh, one of the central plot points there was that to get our attention, to differentiate the radio signal, the message from the natural background noise of the universe what what they had done uh, was was to broadcast a sequence of prime numbers and again something like that if we ever picked up something like that it would be an absolute giveaway that mm. this was the, there was a civilization an intelligence behind this not not just the noise of the universe so you were in the UFO division of the MOD for three years. After that, what happened? Did you go straight into investigating UFOs? What's the timeline? Well, I, I when I was doing that job, of course, my, my job there was to research and investigate the phenomenon to see whether there was evidence of any, any potential defense threat or issue, any national security concerns, any flight safety issues which which is another whole part of this which is getting a lot of people interested right now um after that i stayed in the ministry of defense uh, for another um gosh uh, you know uh, 12 years or so i i got a uh, couple more promotions out so i went and i did after the ufo desk i did a financial policy job and and then after that, I did a defense security job, which involved uh, counterterrorism and military policing and things like that. And and then I I took early retirement and and basically started doing freelance um, broadcasting and and writing. By that time, my name was was well known. I mean, our, our although we did some classified work, most of what we did was public facing because most of our mm. reports came from the public. So it wasn't, it wasn't a secret that the ministry of defense had this, this program. And then there was an initiative to declassify and release a lot of the UFO files, many of which of course I'd written. So they asked me to come back and help with that. And, and, you know, when now, when, when 
people are making documentaries on this subject or having news stories or even making Hollywood movies, when they want a little bit of a, a sort of insider perspective as, as consultant or spokesperson, you know, somebody who can say, well, how would, how would the government really react? Very often they come, come to me. Before we did this interview this morning, I did a, uh, a breakfast TV news interview here in the US where I now live. So, so there's a lot of appetite for this. Mm, yes, I actually I do recall a decade ago, it must have been over a decade ago, watching this UFO documentary and then um, you appeared. But it was I think you were talking during, again, your time in the uh, UFO division of the MOD. Um, so it was it was quite old footage. But as you say, there's an interest in this and that interest certainly is building. I've noticed in the past decade how it has built up because when I was younger, I was kind of the odd kid for believing in aliens. And now it just seems it's a normal part of conversation. I've noticed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, absolutely. I use the phrase out of the fringe into the mainstream and I stand, I stand mm. by that. Well, that, that documentary that you saw, by the way, where probably I had black hair at the time. And mm. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, well, there've been some changes over the years. And of course I, I, I don't know which one you mean, but one of the interesting things is that uh, when I was doing that job, of course, I was the person who who was always put up to to give the party line on this. So mm -hmm. you would probably have seen me furiously debunking this and saying how it was all nonsense and it was all just aircraft lights and weather balloons. There's nothing to see. Move along, people. Move along. <laughs> and that well, was my job. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't going to say, but I thought I am going to say it because uh, at the time, yes, you were debunking be like, no, there's no such thing. And I remember, uh, because this stuck with me, I remember at the end of the documentary, um, even though the footage they showed of you was older, it must have been a slightly more recent one because they said that you had uh, you know, resigned your positions and now since we're investigating UFOs. And I was like, hang on, but he said in one hand, you, but you know, you, you've kind of got to say that right if you're part of this government facility you've got to say the party line right um but it yes. just always stuck with me as like a bit funny at the time i was like hang on <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those i suppose you could say um uh gamekeeper turned poacher maybe but mm. you know having said that there's there's not actually that the devil's in the detail there's not actually that much difference between the official position and and my position now i i guess i'm i'm just asking what if a, a little bit more and i'm glad to say as as we discussed earlier that that other people have been coming around to that view and i i don't know what the situation's like in the uk but i've lived in the us since 2012 now and i can't begin to say to anyone in the uk just how mainstream this is here mm. now i i mentioned the nasa study the reports from the office of the director of national intelligence uh, the fact that we've had congressional hearings, the fact that we've got multiple UFO provisions in the defense bill. I mean, can you imagine that sort of thing happening? Every now and then in Parliament in the UK, I know an, an MP will ask a question, but but what's happening in the US is orders of magnitude above and beyond that. I mean, it's it's like it's as if the Defense Parliamentary Committee was was bringing the Secretary of State to the House and and saying, you know, I want answers on that. Well, that's exactly what's happening here in the US. 
yeah it does seem because obviously i'm still across the pond i'm still in the uk it does seem that there's so much more interest in the us and they seem to have a more get up and go attitude that that is the american to a british person that's the american attitude of like come on let's solve this thing whereas you know what us british people are like we're all just i don't know world weary and fed up and i i keep saying recently if um if Rishi Sunak disclosed tomorrow that UFOs actually exist, I think the average British person would just be like, okay, I don't care. Are they going to pay my gas bill? You know, we're very, a bit passive aggressive, a bit <laughs> grumpy over here. So, um, because one of the questions I did have, I, I remember it, but I didn't put it down, is one of my followers was asking, why are there more sightings in the US? And I thought, but I've read it and I thought, well, that's not really the case. I just think maybe there's more publicity there's a lot of sightings that happen over here we had Rendlesham Forest we had like the Rudlow Manor etc etc but there seems to just be more emphasis in the US over the UK because we're I don't know we're all grumpy here yeah I I think there are really complicated factors and you can't it's not a level playing field I mean just just Mm. for one one point of course is that the the population of the US is is that much bigger than the UK so the there are more potential witnesses. Um, you know, mm. then there's the the size of the land mass. Um, there are issues of light pollution, um, all sorts of variables. But I think you're right that that it's it's a kind of you know, media focus as well, a sociological thing that if if it's in the news constantly, which it is over here with with congressional hearings, for example. If somebody sees something, they're much more likely to, to say something. And so, so in the US, you've got a much more benign environment for reporting. And then there are all sorts of other factors, if you look at this globally, that mean you don't get reports from large parts of the world because of, of issues of language, culture, mm. religion, authoritarianism, and things like that. We We have very little idea for example what's going on in large parts of africa uh probably because they've got better things to be getting on with like mm-hmm. am i gonna you know have clean drinking water today and enough food on the table so mm-hmm. so there are things like that then there are the whole religious issues in the middle east that might might deter people from from speaking out about anything that they they think might run counter to to official doctrine um so it's it's really complicated to say country x has more reports Mm. than country y because of all these variables yeah and especially when you bring religion into the mix because religion religion's a funny one right because some people might be under the impression that well the existence of extraterrestrials would negate what their god has said though i have seen in more recent times um I think one of the more recent popes said that, of course, aliens exist. God created them. So, you know, they've been working around little loopholes that way. Uh, But I watched that, um, the James Fox documentary that he did recently. It's called Moment of Contact. Have you seen it? It came out last year. I I haven't yet, but James Ah. is great. And all all his documentaries are superb. So uh, it's on my list. Yeah, the most, I forget which country it was. I don't know if it was a South American country. Um... But they, uh, this whole small town reported seeing this craft and then some of the townspeople interacted with two extraterrestrials. It's a really fascinating documentary. Oh, yes. It's Brazil, isn't it? It's it's the uh, Virginia 
um yes case yes Yes, and uh, what struck me was when I was watching this was the residents of that town, they said at the time, well, we thought it was a demon because we're Catholic and, you know, we're God-fearing, we're um, we're of the Catholic sector of Christianity. And that struck me at the time as, ah, well, what if you've maybe in history, you've had these moments of contact with extraterrestrials, but because you have this religious bias, you would interpret it as demonic or, you know, a trick from god etc cetera, etc cetera. you know so religion's an interesting one when it you know comes into the un- entire ufo umbrella yes I, and again I, as you say you can witnesses can only perceive and then describe something through through the lens of the the language and the culture and the belief system they already have so yeah for sure some people see these things in terms of of gods devils angels and demons other people in the past have have looked you know for the the little people dwarves and elves and fairies mm. and now we talk about little little gray aliens there are a lot of people who say i wonder if this isn't the same core phenomenon but but just seen through the different lens of perception of of different people in different places in different ages of our history. What do you think of the grey alien phenomena, especially how it's just the the image of the grey alien is synonymous with alien culture in general. If you mention aliens, it's going to be that, you know, typical, it's in a lot of our media, a lot of films, like that film Paul with the voice of Seth Rogen. What do you think of the image of the grey, where it comes from? Because I I make up a lot of theories in my head, so this probably doesn't have scientific backing at all. But I think that maybe because grey aliens seem ubiquitous, there seems to, like, with a lot of people's examples of meeting them, they all seem to look the same. Maybe it's some form of biological android, you know, to travel through space. You've got to deal with radiation. What are your thoughts on grey aliens? Yeah, it does seem to be quite cross-cultural, but it's one of those chicken and egg arguments that mm. that you can argue yourself around in circles. You can some people will say, "Oh, there's a lot of this image in in science fiction and and things, and maybe that gave rise to some of these comments." But then people will point out, and this this is true, that for example, when he was uh, working on creating the X Files for some years, Chris Carter used to attend ufo conferences and sit in the audience and take notes about what people were seeing in terms of of the ufos themselves the entities so is it art imitating life or life imitating art it's very difficult to say hmm let's go back quickly to a uk-based phenomena rendlesham forest um because you have a book out on the rendlesham forest incident don't you? So for my audience, you might, my American audience, you might not know what that is. Can we briefly go over that? Sure. Well, this case happened before my time on the UFO program. So it was one of my predecessors cases, but I did a, a cold case review. The incident happened over three nights in December, 1980 and involved the two uh, bases of Bentwaters and Woodbridge in the UK, but these were US Air Force bases very close together, Rendlesham Forest um, in in the middle of them, so to speak, between Mm. two two bases. And on the first night, some of the military police thought an aircraft had crashed in the forest, a light aircraft or something, started a small fire, and they went out there, but 
saw a, a landed craft, landed triangular craft of some description, which, which subsequently took off vertically and shot away at high speed. What was unusual about this is it wasn't just their say-so. There were burn marks um, in the ground, indentations, mm. scorch marks on the side of the trees, and radioactivity levels, which our own uh, intelligence, uh, scientific intelli intelligence um, scientists assessed as having been significantly higher than the average background. So... So there was that. Then there was a, a second night of, of activity. Then on the third night, the UFO came back, not, not a landing. And the witnesses this time included the deputy base commander who'd put a, a small team together to go out. He, he, when he was told the UFO had come back, he threw a team together, went out into the forest, as he put it, to try and debunk this UFO nonsense. He ended up being a witness himself, um, and, and the five or six people with him, he saw this thing fire a narrow beam of light just in front of, of him and, and his men. Um, extraordinary speeds and maneuvers and accelerations. And again, no, no explanation was ever found. So yeah, I teamed up with some of the United States Air Force witnesses and we, we co-authored a book called Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, which is largely based on the original eyewitness testimony of the, the U.S. military witnesses and also uh, declassified U.S. and U.K. government documents on this so people can, can follow the, the sort of paper trail of government documents talking about this. And is there something in, because I, I'm aware that UFOs have been seen around military bases, maybe not frequently, but it's happened certainly more than once. And I've heard many stories from different sources about how, you know, on occasion, unidentified flying objects have taken offline nukes and nuclear mis missiles. Have you heard of such? Because I've heard of these cases, but I can't exactly, I couldn't pinpoint you to the sources, it's just you know, going around in my head. Have you heard of such cases? Yes, I have. There are a couple of witnesses who we believe have testified recently behind closed doors to Congress about this. One's called Robert Jacobs. One's called Robert Salas. And um, the, 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 the Robert Salas case is 1967 Maelstrom Air Force Base. Um, the, the short answer to your question is we, we, know that these stories are out there, but they've not yet been verified. Congress, as we speak, is trying to get to the bottom of, of that. Like I say, there, there's been some testimony. Um, Congress has demanded answers on this point, and it's specifically, it's one of the points written into the, the new defense bill that I mentioned that there are UFO provisions in it. One of the things specifically written in it in is Congress want to know if these stories uh, are, are true or not. And, and so they're working on it, obviously because of the classification levels of anything involving nuclear weapons. It's unlikely, I think, that, that any of those reports will be made public. But maybe there's a kind of halfway house that we can get an unclassified version with some of the the information redacted, which will at least answer your question of did this happen or not? And if it, if it did, is there anything that the US government and military can tell us about what caused this? 
What do you personally make of it? Because for me, it sounds nice, this idea that there are these mysterious benevolent beings who are looking out for, you know, because the absolute wreckage and chaos that nukes can cause, you know, they're looking out for humans, they're looking out for planet Earth, but it's the idea of that sounds a little bit Hollywood to me. Not saying it doesn't happen, but what do you think it, of it personally? Yeah, it, it, it does sound a little bit Hollywood. I, I mean, it's it also it ties in with this kind of new age interpretation of the UFO phenomenon and the whole extraterrestrial question that that the somehow the space brothers and the space sisters are going to come down and save us from ourselves. Well, you know, with with nuclear weapons in mind, they didn't stop Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Mm. So so for all the all the new age people who say, oh, they'll they'll just switch off our nukes in an instant. Well, fine. You know, but like I say, they didn't in 45. So so there's no indication that that's anything other than wishful thinking. But like I say, the the allegation is is on the table that that there has been some sort of interaction between UFOs and nuclear weapons, whether it's benevolent or malevolent or neutral or, or whether it's just a technical fault or something that an adversary was trying to see if they could take our nukes offline. Um, you know, we we simply don't know, but. As I say, they're they're working pretty hard to get some answers, as as well they should, because there could be few more serious allegations than our our entire strategic deterrent is is maybe can, something that can just be turned off at the flick of a switch. Yeah, the new age semi woo woo aspects. I'm far too British and cynical for that. In principle, I agree. You know, we're all one universe, one whatever. In principle, I agree, but I am far too cynical. Um, I Again, I don't know if this is true. I just have all this information that kind of knocks about in my head, but I can't, you know, point you to a definitive source. Um, but I'm very sure that I read somewhere after the New Mexico testing of splitting the atom and creating newts happened, um, UFO sightings did go up. Is there any truth to that? Yes, there is. And and again, uh, whether you're talking about things like the Roswell incident or, or any number of other um, things that happened in 1947, there's no getting away from the fact that a lot of it happened around the area where uh, nuclear weapons were being tested, where missiles were being tested. So whether it's whether it's uh, Roswell Army Airfield, which was was base to the only atomic bomb capable squadron anywhere in the world at at the time of the Roswell incident, whether it's the White Sands missile range or whether it's the Alamogordo nuclear facility, a lot of it was centered around there. And that, that of course, is what skeptics will, will point out and say, well, isn't that proof that this is just our own uh, cutting edge technology that we don't want to disclose or it's the technology of an adversary a mm -hmm. terrestrial adversary spying on us to which of course the counter argument is ah no if we're being visited by extraterrestrials they'd be interested in that cutting edge of our technology i mean both both arguments have a certain logic to them and i suppose that's one reason why this mystery is still enduring nearly 80 years on 
Yeah, my own logic to that type of thing is, you know, it's been 70 years since 1950. So UFOs that were seen at the time that were capable of, you know, great feats of aeronomical maneuvers. Um, well, we'd, we would see it publicly now because it's been 70 years. So why the need for... Uh, more secrecy we would see you know you know the army like every 20 years they unveil their new projects and new aircraft etc and we get to see shows of force um so what i'm saying is if we if we saw ufos in the 50s and we still don't have aircraft to this day that looks like that in my head that makes it extraterrestrial because i think in 70 years we would have seen similar aircraft come out of the uh military complex Yes, I, I think there is a certain logic to that. It's like, where, where are the flying saucers? Yeah, yeah, basically, where, where are they? <laughs> um, Roswell, what do you think happened there? I'd love to hear your thoughts on Roswell. Well, something crashed for sure. And, and people forget that they think this was some great story uncovered by... Um, researchers or the media or something. It, it wasn't. It was the US military that themselves caused a press release to be put out. And they said, um, and of course, Roswell came just a few weeks after the, a very famous sighting by a pilot called Kenneth Arnold, who saw nine objects. And that's where the term flying saucer came from. So what happened a few weeks later with, with the US military putting this press release out is they said the many rumors surrounding these, these flying disks, people used flying saucer, flying disk interchangeably, um, have, have today been brought into focus as, as the 509th bomb group have recovered one of these mystery disks. Mm. And within 24 hours, they reversed the story and said that they made a mistake and it had just been a weather balloon. Mm. And they put out some pictures, obviously of a weather balloon. And, and various people said, well, they switched the wreckage. And, and we're still debating it 80 years on. So there's not much, there's not much, it's, it's like a police case, unless you solve it within the first 48 hours, mm. you won't. And now when we talk about Roswell, all the contemporary witnesses are dead. A lot of the records have either been destroyed or lost over the years. There are rumors that there's some debris still floating around somewhere. Maybe it's somewhere in a basement office, like, like that end scene at, at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they put the Ark in this, this government basement somewhere. Maybe it's somewhere like that. Maybe... It was given to a an aerospace corporation like Lockheed or Northrop or Boeing or BAE Systems to try and figure out. And and look, if if anyone does have alien technology, um, I don't know that they'd be able to figure it out. If if you if you um, were able to go back in time, I don't know, five years or something, and Give give someone at uh, you know give someone your iPhone 14. They could probably maybe go from an original iPhone and and figure it out. But if mm. you were to go back to Stone Age times, they would just think it was a flat shiny rock. Yeah. So if if we were and if we have 
somehow got our hands on on any debris or something in a universe nearly 14 billion years old from a civilization that might be millions of years ahead of us could we figure it out or would would we just be like the the stone age people going it's just a shiny rock i think the latter so what do you make of uh, people such as Bob Lazar, his claims that he worked at Area 51 and they had a craft and it had some sort of anti-propulsion unit that they were trying or anti-gravity unit that they were trying to work out? What do you make of um, whistleblowers like him? Because Bob Lazar, I've seen him in a few interviews. He seems like quite a quiet, reserved person. So what, what do you make of uh, people like that? Yeah, it's very difficult to say. I, I don't mm. think I've... I've even met him, so it, it, it's it's a tough call. There is some evidence that he did uh, work at at Area Fifty One, but there there are also some question marks about a lot of his story. And you know, there's an old saying in the intelligence analyst community: "Interesting if true," and that's yeah. pretty much all I can say about hmm. about the Bob Lazar Bob Lazar story. Interesting if true. So. You appear frequently on one of my favorite shows, and that's Ancient Aliens. Um, love the show. I think it's, think it's fantastic. I think it's good fun as well. I think sometimes people people get a bit funny about Ancient Aliens, but it's entertaining, and they know what they're doing, you know? Um, do you think we've been visited throughout history? I know at the beginning of the conversation, uh, we kind of covered it a little bit, but do you think we've been visited by something else throughout history? Because I do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I keep an open mind on it. I, mm. I think there are some intriguing pieces of evidence. I'm not going to claim that that there's a smoking gun. But yeah, a- ancient astronaut theorists, of, of course, uh, the central premise is that we've been visited throughout history and that our ancestors misperceived these extraterrestrials as gods and, and worshipped them and then built great... Uh, structures and monuments in in homage to these these so-called gods and i i mean i i'm on the show when i'm on the show i tend to talk about the more modern stories mm. involving government military and intelligence agencies but i i know my way around ancient astronaut theory and i actually as well as appearing on the show i i moderate ancient aliens live which is a a spin-off a 90 minute stage show that that uh, tours all around the US and it's hugely popular. So I think, you know, that that's at the end of at the end of the day, Ancient Aliens isn't trying to say this is definitely what happened. As it says in the narration at the very beginning, could it be? Mm. And it's it's to throw out questions. And and the, the basic question is, might there be things about our history and maybe prehistory that we've got wrong? And you've only got to look at the whole Graham Hancock uh, controversy at the moment. I was about, I was just about to mention Graham Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I, the, there's always room, I think, or there should always be room for diversity of opinion, and and of course you get this horrendous pushback from from a lot of of the very deeply entrenched people in in academia saying, oh no, that couldn't possibly be true, and and then. You know, it it seems that every every month there's another discovery which pushes the human timeline further and further back. So so maybe there is something to this. And I'm 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 never 
a fan of that sort of closed-minded, it can't be so it isn't um, opinion mindset that you you come up against so often. A, a good scientist, good academic will be open to new data and will say, okay, I hadn't thought of that. I'll take a look. Where where are the data? Uh, let's let's see. But but when it comes to people like Graham Hancock, all, all they can do is throw insults and say, I'm not mm. even looking at this. It's pseudoscience. Yeah, because the Graham Hancock pushback, because um, I'm aware it's been going on for decades, because uh, this guy was writing, you know, Fingerprints of the Gods decades ago. It it baffles me a little bit. Sometimes I, I think it's coming from this really insecure place, this place of, well, no, it can't, so it isn't, because he's just questioning, you know, are we older than what the timeline says we are? Was there a cataclysm? And you can see throughout, well, history is biased anyway, right? Because history is written by the victors, so it's very biased, and it's written by people who had the ability to write, which most of the peasant folk didn't have the ability to write and read for thousands of years. So history is very biased. Um, yeah, the Graham Hancock thing, it does confound me a little bit because even, let's get too off topic, go off to a, on a tangent. Uh, even Russell Brand, Russell Brand interviewed Graham Hancock recently and the comments on Russell Brand's post about it was full of people saying, Russell, he's a pseudoscience. Russell Brand, who once interviewed Alex Jones, was getting pushback over right. Graham Hancock, who to me, he just seems like a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I've met Graham several times. And and as you say, he's just asking the question, could we have gotten some of this wrong? Might there have been uh, a, a sort of precursor civilization that that we don't yet know about fully, but but which has left its fingerprints on on other cultures? So again, it's it's not so much the the sort of this is absolutely how it is like as with ancient aliens it's could it be dot 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 question mark and i feel like when it comes to history and even to science i feel there should be some wonderment and some imagination albert einstein uh i think he thought to himself one day what would it look like if i was traveling within a sunbeam and then from there, he came up with the theory of relativity. And that initial idea of what would I look like if I was traveling through space within a sunbeam, that's a very imaginative thing to wonder about. That's not your everyday sort of thought, right? So I do think, I think that it's important to have an open mind, um, have a sense of wonderment, but, well, be curious. I think it's important to be curious. Completely. The, the, you know, I think it's part of... of intelligence is is curiosity asking questions pushing boundaries um challenging preconceived ideas so for this portion i'm going to go to my audience's questions these are their youtube usernames so i might butcher some edavre goodbarrel asked what does nick imagine other forms of plant life to be in various types of atmospheres on other planets Gosh, like like anything and everything we could conceive, and and a whole bunch of things that we can't conceive. I I think um, the sky's the limit, and 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 again, I we mentioned the laws of mathematics being constant in the universe, but but things like atmospheric composition, uh, we we know is from our own solar system is very very different. So I I think we will find a huge diversity. But but you know here's a controversial thing. Occasionally we may find a sort of 
convergent evolution point across the cosmos that certain mm. forms might just be really, really successful. And, and therefore, you would imagine that, I don't want to make too many assumptions, but you would imagine that, that um, you know, random mutation and, and natural selection would, would be a sort of uh, constant. And, mm. and that good design is always going to be good design wherever you are in the universe. So we might find things that are very different, but every now and then we might come across something that is spookily similar to things right down here. Mm, I agree with that. <laughs> Caitlin Hall says, what are your thoughts on the public reaction to all of the disclosures recently? It's interesting. I think on the one hand, particularly in the US, there's this amazement that the narrative has flipped 180 degrees and it's it's suddenly a serious subject. On the other hand, to go back to something you said earlier in our conversation, you know, people have still got to pay the bills and buy the groceries. And, and so there's that sense of not, not exactly so what, but, but life must go on. Mm. So yes, it's, it's been mixed reactions. Mm. Yeah, I imagine there'd be more reactions more so in the in the US than over here, because, as I said, we're all just cynical and British and trying to get on with the cost of living crisis. Um, my mother had a question. She loves watching Ancient Aliens. I think I got my own mother into Ancient Aliens. Um, let's see. Why do you think the governments cover so much up? Because the reason the reason that was given way back then when was, you know, the public will be scared. You know, uh, when uh, War of the Worlds was on the radio, people thought it was a real thing and freaked out and they, they tried to leave New York and their cities, right? Um, but the excuse that the public will be scared if they know what's really going on seems to no longer be valid because I think that there was some sort of a survey that was taken and they found that a lot of people would be receptive to the idea of there being aliens so her question in a nutshell was why do you think the government still try to cut what do you think the government try and cover things up and why is that what's their motivation well sure yeah you're right and and she's right too i mean you you don't scare people by telling them something they already believe which is probably where we are now with the ufo phenomenon so um frankly unless we suddenly faced a sort of war of the worlds type alien invasion i don't think there would be panic in the streets there would there would maybe be a, a sort of okay we can we can deal with that like i say you know a lot of people already believe it to be true uh, where i think the secrecy comes in is the technology mm. if if any of this is extraterrestrial the nation that first acquires that technology and figures out how how to use it is is arguably going to be the dominant nation on this planet for the foreseeable future i mean it just just suddenly making a quantum leap in 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 technology not just military technology but industrial technology so so when i say dominant force on this planet for the foreseeable future i mean militarily but also politically economically um and those are i think very high stakes and and that's maybe why it is. You don't you don't want to show. Imagine it as a high stakes po poker game. You don't want to mm -hmm. show what cards you're holding. So if if some people do have data about this debris, 
or whatever. You don't want to say, tell the American people, the American people have a right to know. Well, the moment you do that, you tell Russia, China, everyone. I'm very sure, and I can verify the first part of this. When the Pentagon came out not too long ago and they re-released that footage of the the aircraft pilots talking about being like, what is that? What's, what's yes. that? The, the Pentagon, um, they verified that that footage is valid. And I'm very sure at the time when I read about that, I also read about the Pentagon admitting that they had... See, this is the thing. I've already asked one UFOologist about this and she doesn't have any recollection of this, but I'm very sure I read that the Pentagon said that they had a um, a unidentified flying craft, aircraft, not of earthly origins. And it sticks out in my mind because not of earthly origins isn't a phrase that I would personally make up so i don't think i'm making it up but i can't really find anything about it since is that ringing any bells not the first part because we know that yes verified but the second part where the, the pentagon essentially said we have a ufo but i feel it got glossed over so i'm not sure if i'm making that up no you the the wording is pretty much as you recall i, I mean i think they're talking about um non-terrestrial origin um this came from a contractor who had worked on some of this for the Pentagon. It did not actually come from the Pentagon. Uh-huh. And, and the Pentagon have not confirmed that information. And it's not 100% clear whether that contractor was saying something that he knew to be true from direct firsthand experience or whether he had been told it or deduced it from somewhere else. So the short answer is it's a little bit murky. Thank you for clearing that up because I've literally been saying to my friends, the Pentagon admitted they have a UFO. Um, only a few more questions. Jojo says, Jojo L says, what known aircraft or structure is most commonly thought to be a UFO? Well, I think the sorts of things that are misperceived as UFOs are probably things, if you haven't seen them, things like the B-2 stealth bomber. But I think the actual, more accurate answer to that question is, Things that, and you you mentioned this idea a, a, a while ago. You you said that there were things flying that we wouldn't hear about for twenty years, I, I, or, or we were talking maybe about the history of it. And that's that's absolutely right. So I think the answer to the question is the things most commonly we've got things. I have no doubt flying now that would look like they came from a Star Wars movie, but you mm. won't see them on the evening news or at the Farnborough Air Show for 10, 15, 20 years because mm. they're not yet publicly acknowledged and declared. So that's the answer to that question. It's it's the secret prototype aircraft and drones that are currently being test flown. And I find that there's a bit of a worry in that for me personally because uh, I'm not sure what it's like for you over in the US, but we've had the Tories for the past 13 or so, I don't know, the past lifetime we've had the uh, the Tory government in charge. And I don't trust my government as as don't a lot of British people. Uh, so there's a particular worry, and I think Stephen Greer also believes this, that what if our own governments using technology we have decide to do a false flag alien invasion, you know, to get us to comply, put us under martial law. Uh, what, what, what do you think of that? Because I certainly worry about it as someone who's just a bit anti-establishment. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a great believer. I'm not, not a believer at all in false flag alien invasion. But mm-hmm. uh, there is this alleged quote that Werner von Braun said, uh, aliens will be the last card. And yeah. <laughs> um, 
you you know so i i don't know i think it's a little far-fetched because i think it would be almost impossible to fake but mm-hmm. but who knows and and with in this day and age maybe some combination of hollywood special effects and a really sophisticated psychological operation with government and media uh complicity who knows well, we do live in an era of deep fakes now where we can do amazing things with AI technology and she- and CGI. Um, For sure. I guess we'll just all find out in the next few years. Um, someone called Doom, they, they've said, do you believe, well, firstly, do you believe alien species are observing us? And if so, do you believe that they pose a threat? Well, I think or, there's... Or a risk. Yeah, I, I think... I'm sure there's life out there. I don't know for certain whether we are or aren't being visited, but if we are, I would say there's a potential threat because in military terms, threat equals capability times intent. Capability seems quite high. Intent remains unknown. And it's better to assume there's a threat and be relieved if it doesn't materialize than to assume there's no threat and get caught out if one suddenly appears. That's why the U.S. military has all of those contingency plans, which are public knowledge. You can you can look them up. Uh, they have a contingency. The U.S. Army has a plan in place in case there's a zombie outbreak. They also have something to do with if magicians exist and are a threat. Um, I suppose it's like army exercises to come up with these things and then work out, well, what would our response be if X, Y, Z, however fantastical happened? Yeah, I think sometimes these things are just thought experiments rather mm. than reflecting a genuine belief that that those sorts of things will happen. But again, as you say, we live in some pretty wild times, so who knows? And I have a final question from BL. What do you think of Tom DeLonge and all of his work in the UFO realm? Tom DeLonge, for anyone who doesn't know, I believe is the front man of Blink-182. Yeah, everyone wrote Tom off as just a, an, an enthusiast with, with you know, uh, a band and a little bit too much time and money on his hands. But there's no getting away from the fact that he was involved in a lot of the work that brought this, this subject to the fore because he did assemble this group called uh, the To The Stars Academy um, of Arts and Sciences, which did have some of the people associated with it, like, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon and Jim Semivan and Steve Justice, who were, they all are who they say they are and did what they said they did. And and so when the history of this is written, it will be one of those really bizarre things because I, there's no denying Tom, Tom DeLong played a big part in it. Robbie Williams is also very interested in UFOs as well. And I remember, uh, again, like maybe two decades ago, it was the front page of The Sun. Robbie Williams, they were presenting him as though he'd gone crazy because he grew out a beard and he was drinking 10 Red Bulls a day and he was talking about UFOs, wanted to find UFOs. Um, I find that very I find that very interesting because I've listened to him speak about it and how the media tried to paint him as a crazy person chasing after imaginary flying saucers. Uh, but he's got a very big interest in the UFO phenomenon. He knows his stuff. I've listened to a few podcasts. Yeah. I, I met him once in, I think, about 2007. Really? There's there's a photo of us uh, somewhere together when he was in that phase of of with the big beard and and things we we met up at a ufo conference where i was speaking and uh uh yeah he he was absolutely sincere on it there are a lot of uh musicians uh who, who very very interested and involved 
with this. And again, I think it's because they are very often creative, outside the box thinkers. Yeah. I agree. So I think that's all we have time for for today. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been nice to it's been nice to talk to someone else who had well, you have much more knowledge in this subject than I could possibly. But it's been nice to talk to someone about this because I think about UFOs quite a lot. Well, thanks. I've I've enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I, I hope the people watching do as well. So thank you. So, Nick, where can people find you? Are you on social medias? Do you have any upcoming books, events, talks? Uh, my website is nickpope.net. On Twitter, I am nickpopemod. And uh, people can catch me on Ancient Aliens, Ancient Aliens Live, uh, a new TV series that I created and host called After Contact, which is on Forbidden Knowledge TV, uh, and much more besides. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And to the viewers, thank you so much for listening or watching. Make sure that you follow us on Spotify and iTunes. If you're on Spotify, give me a five stars, please. And for YouTube, make sure you like, comment, subscribe. And I'll see you all very soon. Bye.